We are in the uh, Gospel of Mark, if you'll turn there. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark 10. No, we're not going backwards. Mark is a short gospel. <laughs> but we are following the life and the ministry of, of Jesus in chronological order. And there is a lot to study from this point in Jesus' life to that final moment on the cross and the resurrection. Probably just about a week and a half. For him, it's about a week and a half away. Mark 10, our address will be verse 46. That's a familiar story to us all. A beautiful account of something that happened to a, a blind man. If We know him as blind Bartimaeus. Starting with verse 46, and they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, uh, and a great multi uh, number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timotheus, Timotheus, sat on the, by the roadway side, and he's begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he, he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man and saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he casting away his garment rose and he came to Jesus. And Jesus answered, and he said unto him, what, would, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto Jesus, or unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Would you stand one more time with me with Bible in hand? Let's pray over this. Dear, dear text, Father, thank you so much. Again, thank you for the name of Jesus that we could sing about. Lord, and thank you for your word where we can study even more about Jesus. We thank you for this story, God. It's uh, something that literally and truly happened. Something that if we look at it carefully, we might be able to make application of it and... Uh, Maybe today, Lord, there'll be something that happens in our hearts, drawing us and conforming us, maybe transforming us more and more into your image. Maybe there's someone here, Lord, that needs to be a blind Bartimaeus calling out. I don't know, Lord, you know every one that's here, you know every heart that's represented here, Father. So we just pray again for your anointing upon our lives as we study your word together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said together, amen, amen. Thank you. You know, there's that famous American proverb, seeing is believing, you know, um, well, there is um, an incredible amount of truth to that. Um, but I also think the, that the opposite is, is true, too. Um, that there is much in life to believe before we actually even see anything. And, of course, many Christians, when they think of faith, they go to that, faith, you know, that, that familiar verse, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Well, I get that as that author of Hebrews was trying to describe the faith of the ancient, the old, the old saints. Um, but you think about it, though. There are many things that we put our faith into because we do see it. So the opposite is true. You know, seeing is believing, but also believing is, also, is seeing. You just think of the architect who sits down and he has this vision in his mind or something that he knows could really happen, but he doesn't actually see the fulfillment of it until he puts it down on paper. He, you know, he's believing something to be true, but, he, but then he sees it later as it's put out on paper. Or the chemist who sits down knowing that there might be... Um, a cure for a disease, but he, he knows it in his mind and he sees the formulas in his mind, but until it's actually drawn out and put into practice or in, in the laboratories before it becomes actually the cure, it is something they believed in, but it didn't really come into existence till actually they saw it being performed. But faith often precedes seeing. Belief in faith Sometimes belief in faith comes first. So both are true. You, you think about creation all around us. You think about what the, the physical eye can see through a telescope or through a microscope. Um, it, it literally testifies of a creator, doesn't it? You know, that's why we often say that we believe in, in an intelligent design. You know, because you look at something that's so complex you think about the orbit, you know, that, that surrounds us. You think about the ecosystem that sustains life in and of itself. We believe in all that. Why? Because we see that life is being sustained by those things that we can only see through a microscope or through a telescope, you know. And, uh, and just think of the, the, the perplexity or how, how perplexed the human eye is. So again, things that we do see really does create in our hearts a faith. And it's not a blind faith. Even Paul the Apostle would say that nature in and of itself declares the glories of the kingdom of God. You know, you think about, oh, well, maybe years ago, um, centuries ago, not understanding, you know, the orbit and the way, the way the galaxies are spread out. And we know in Scripture it says that God spread those things out by the finger by his fingertips. Now we get to see how those things are perfectly in place. One degree off, the sun would just consume the planet Earth. Everything is so perfectly designed. But now in our generation, in our time, we get to see that. Even, I mean, even scientists are sometimes perplexed by the, by how does, how it, it's an intelligent design that put it all together. Listen, and the reason people aren't flocking to the cross and becoming saved and born again, and I'll bring this up in another part of my message is men love darkness rather than light. And that's why they stay away from the truth. It's not, it, you don't have to be a scientist to figure that one out. People just like their old lives and they don't want to repent and give their hearts out or over to the Lord. And so another thing that's very evident that we can see that actually proclaims or it might, I may, maybe I should say is a witness is the fall of man. I mean, the fall of man, you just think of the crime rate in the world. Think of the wickedness, the op uh, oppression, the injustice 
thinking about, thinking about it on the national level and even on the, the, the international level. And just the police officers in, in our church, they keep me updated on some of the things that are happening. And just, I just got an article from uh, my buddy uh, Mike Ryan where a, a pastor was beat outside of his church and he died as a result of his injuries. I mean, things are just getting crazier. You know, if that's a word. I mean, things are just getting out of control. Well, you and I, because we can see that, we can say not only do we, are we upset about it, but it's still declaring the existence of God. Why? Well, it just shows that we live in a state of fallenness. We, our scars, our battles, our, um, you know, um, depravity all results all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Thank you, Grandma Eve and Grandpa Adam. You know, well, we would have done the same thing. So let's not put ourselves on a pedestal. We would have fallen just like they did. But that's where it came from. Like, let me give you an example. If you had lived during that time period and somebody would have talked to you about blindness, you would have said, well, what's blindness? Because blindness never existed before the fall of man. Talk about diabetes. Well, there was no such thing as diabetes. There was no cancer. There was no hatred. There was no wickedness. Nobody was beating people up. Nobody was murdering. So what we see before us, literally, is a, it's just that declaration that God exists. Kind of very interesting, isn't it, to us? See, some people think that Christianity is like an either or. It's either believing is seeing or seeing is believing. But I think God is more complex than that. And I really believe both exist. And we'll see that even in our story here or this account with blind Bartimaeus. But in any case, both of those play an important role to you and I. Because there are times... And I don't want to say it's maybe because we have a shallowness to our faith. But I've even caught myself saying, God, unless I see it, it's going to be really hard to believe. And there are times where maybe my faith is heightened a little bit and I'll go, I don't need to see a thing. I know God's got this. See, both are true to the believer. I don't know even why I'm telling you this, but... Maybe don't be so hard on yourself if you think you just need to see something. That's all right with God. It's not knocking him off the throne, folks. He doesn't mind. God, can you just give me a little glimpse? Can you just let me see something in the life of my loved ones where I can think, ah, they're starting to pay more attention. Or, or maybe you know what I'm talking about, guys, don't you? But anyway... In verse 46, it kind of does give us the context of this, of this passage. And again, as I had said a little while ago, he is in the last week of his public ministry. That is, Jesus is in his last week. Hey, how would you be? A side note, not even on my notes here. How would, what would you be like if someone said you only got a week to go? Some of us would really be freaked out a little bit, wouldn't we? You know, I guess if you're 110 years old, you'd probably thank God it's coming. You know. But just imagine if the Lord opened that information up to you that you only had a, 
a short while to go. The, the case of the matter is, though, not too many of us get that information. That's why we live every day like it could be our last day, right? We plan maybe we could live another 100 years, but ultimately as a born-again Christian, I can expect that the Lord can come and get us even before I'm done this message. How many would be down with that? The rest of you get saved and you'll be on board. I know what I mean? Man, when you start thinking about finally leaving this crazy, perverted planet and we'll be seeing Jesus face to face, come on, get real, man, you know? Well, I, I, you know, I don't know, Harry. I want to I, I experience marriage and have kids. Oh, it's wonderful. But it doesn't compare to heaven, trust me. Did I bail myself out? But in verse 46, it says, Now as they went to Jericho, he went out of Jericho. I'm reading out of the new king, if you're following along with me. But he says, I went out of Jericho with, or he did, with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timotheus, sat by the road begging. Now we're told that he's with his disciples, but also we're told that there is a huge crowd that's following the Lord. Now the reason for this crowd they're not just following Jesus, but this is the Passover, the preparation for Passover. You know, they're all going to Jerusalem for the celebration of this feast. Now, this feast was a mandatory feast. There were three mandatory feasts for every Jewish male. It would be the Feast of Tabernacle, the Feast of uh, Pentecost, and the Feast of Passover. All those three, they had to journey there. Um, if you lived in Jerusalem and even the surrounding, pardon me, in Israel and the surrounding nations around it, if you were a good Jewish boy there, you made sure you made your way there. There would be all those just traveling from all these nations. And they wouldn't just come alone. They would take their wives. They would take their children. Sometimes it would be a caravan of families just flocking to Jerusalem. Now, the historians tell us that it, you know, it could swell up to over a million people in that tiny city of Jerusalem. If you have ever been there. Now, Jerusalem... On our maps today is, is a little larger than what it was back when Jesus was going through Jerusalem. It, it, Jerusalem today or back then would be equivalent to maybe Gloucester County. And that might be an exaggeration. And just imagine over a million people trying to get to it. So now you get an idea that, man, we're just sort of like elbow to elbow and people are traveling down this road and Jesus, and there's great excitement. The Jews would sing the uh, songs called the Song of Ascent. They would just sing all these kind of psalm songs, you know, making their ascent to Jerusalem. And it was a time of celebration. And just think that Jesus is on in this caravan of people. Now he knows this is his final week. But yet there's something so joyous about this for him that he is with the people that he will die for I don't know I wish I could just go into his head for a second just to see the different emotions that our Lord was going through now he's going on this road the road of Jericho from Jerusalem or Jericho to Jerusalem and it's about a 15 mile hike 
I think it's like northeast of Jerusalem, if you want to pull out your Bible maps. Um, the, his popularity at this time has soared. It's sky high, except for, of course, the religious community or the religious Jews. They're still plotting how they're going to take him out to put him to death. But among the common people, man, everybody was just loving him. And uh, for many reasons, too. You know, you remember this, the verse that said, man, we have never heard any man speak like this man uh, spoke. And we have never seen any man do the miracles that this man has done. They're really thinking, could this really be our Messiah? You know, and again, without the the Holy Spirit in their lives, see, the Holy Spirit was only walking with them, not abiding in them. That doesn't happen till John chapter 20 after the resurrection. But be that as it may, um, the Holy Spirit would never be able to be in their lives to bear witness of the truth of the resurrection. Couldn't happen until after the resurrection. Just a little side note. Um, this word that he was in that on that road at that time would have radiated through the crowd. Everybody had heard of him. His his popularity again it soared. He is this tremendous um, celebrity, if I can use that word. Um, and again, especially among the people who were blind, who were blind. So, and I'll tell you a reason, uh, a reason for, 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 in a minute. Um, well, I'll tell you now. When we read about all the miracles of Jesus, right? The healing of the lame and the, um, the, the withered hand. Uh, the, the man that was on the mat and Jesus said, roll up your mat and go home. All those miracles, we read every now and then that he healed the blind, there's more mention in the Bible about Jesus healing the blind than even raising the dead. There was something about healing the blind. And the reason is, of all the Old Testament prophecies that related to a Messiah that was coming, he will open the eyes of the blind and open the, the ears of the deaf. And so when people, oh, he rose, raised the dead? Wow, that's pretty heavy. I wonder how that happened. He opened the blind eyes? Well, that sounds a lot like the Messiah that's been promised. Deaf people are hearing? Oh, my goodness. That's in Isaiah chapter 50, uh, Isaiah 35. And, and many other passages such as that. And so we're told in verse 46 that blind Bartimaeus sat by the road and he's begging. Now, see, in the ancient world, that being blind set the course of your life. There's just two things you're going to do the rest of your life, and that is you're going to be led, and you're going to be, be and you're going to have to be, and you're going to beg the rest of your life. There was no social services for the blind and deaf. You know they, that's not how it worked. If you had a family or a close friend, they would lead you to a spot, just like the the, the blind guy on the road to uh, into the temple area where Peter and John was involved with. They had their designated spot. And so this was blind Bartimaeus' designated spot. He understood the culture. He understood. He knew how to beg, you know. But I'll tell you what, this passage of blind Bartimaeus, um, it does speak of his physical condition, but like all the scriptures that have been given and have been inspired, there is a spiritual message in everything, 
every account we read. You know, I can take a, um, a message, um, like I just mentioned, where um, Peter and John said, silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give unto thee. You can make a message, uh, a spiritual message out of that. You know, the Bible is spiritual. The Bible, to me, is supernatural. 66 books written by 40 different human authors on three different continents, um, different language, and yet the whole thing's consistent. Let me tell you, it's a supernatural book they hold on your lap this morning. It's, it's the only book ever written by a man, man where it's alive and powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword, meaning it, cut, it goes in, it cuts coming out. It's a supernatural book. That's why I always encourage you guys. Read it, read it, read it, read it. Um, one of the things that I want to bring out to you again, mentioning that blind Bartimaeus' physical condition is also a spiritual lesson. Um, every one of us has been born with a deformity or defect, I should say. Every one of us. And I don't mean, again, I don't mean physical. Some of us have, you know, but... I'm talking about spiritual. And it goes all the way back to grandmom and grandpop Eve, right? And as a result of grandmom and grandpop Adam and Eve, every one of us has been born with a defect called blindness. Not physical like Bartimaeus, but spiritual. For even for those who might have grown up in a spiritual setting, in a religious home, they're still blind without the Spirit of God living within them. It tells us in 1 John chapter 3, for you note takers, just jot it down. It tells us in 1 John chapter 1 verse 3, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the light, life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Why? Because they're blind. People without Christ still grope around in spiritual darkness. And again, the sad thing is, and I'll read it to you just in a second, they love it. They love the darkness. When, when we're saved, uh, we're born again. Mine was 1973. I'm, I'm, I pray that you all have some point of when God finally brought you out of darkness, your eyes were open and he brought you into a marvelous light. What's that mean? You see now. You see. This is what Peter wrote. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul to the church in Corinth wrote this. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of God who is in the image shine on them. Look, now I don't, you know, look, I, and I get excited when I read or hear about people that, you know, gravitate to the Bible, even politicians who might... Um, include God in their speeches. I'm excited just like with everyone else. But the truth of the matter is, if that person, that individual, a he or a she, a boy or girl, is not born again, no matter how much they know of the Bible, they're still blind. 
There's no witness of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You know, that's I, when I was born again. I, my goodness, I, I didn't know. I knew what a family Bible looked like. My, my mom had one. Never went into it except to look at the pictures of the, the crazy thing. But when I got saved, I knew that a light went on inside my soul and my spirit. I knew I came out of darkness. And man, my darkness was pitch dark. He brought me into a light. Same with my brother Dennis. And I, can you say that? God truly brought you into a light. Maybe you struggle with your devotions. Maybe you're a lot like me, man. No, no one pushed me through into education or ever forced me to study. I struggled in that area. But man, when the light turned on and I would read just a little passage like, for God so long. I used to live out of the New Living Bible when I was a hippie, you know. For so God loved me. Are you kidding that he gave me his begotten son, that light came on. And I'm afraid people start to nestle in the church and they snuggle down and they start to know the stories. And, the, and you know, without the light, that's all it is, is a story. But when the lights come on, you know it's truth. Does that make sense, church? Ephesians chapter 5, 8 says, you were once in darkness, but now you're in the light. Now walk. Walk as children of the light. Don't, Christian, don't walk around like you have blinders on. Like you're groping around and you're just trying to figure out. No, if you're born again, make that appeal to the Holy Spirit of God. Maybe you just, you know, there's three white lights. You, know, you just got to keep switching that thing till it gets brighter. Colossians chapter 113, he's delivered us from the power of the darkness and conveyed us. The word convey there means he's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, of his love. And finally, the verse I've been alluding to in verse or John chapter 319, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. But men love their darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. So, so this dear brother of ours, blind Bartimaeus, he sits there on the edge of the road there coming out of Jericho, and he's begging. Again, a very common scene in the ancient world. You know, we still see that from time to time. I don't know if the begging that we see on the street corners today is because of dire need or whatever, and I'm not here to judge anyone. Um, but when you go into some of the third world countries that I have been in, the, the, you know, they're begging some of them. Um, I used to go to this place in Kathmandu, and there was this dear woman there with, with um, leprosy that had been there for about three or four years every time I would go to this one place. And she's always, somebody would place her there, and she had her little begging cup. You know, and when the, that one year where I didn't see her, probably she passed away. Um, but we, we can still see this in parts of the world today. Another reason they loved begging on this road, the road of Jericho, because they knew that during the feast time, religious people would come by. And by rule of thumb, more religious people are more generous. And so that's when um, they would sit there and, and make their plea for, for funds. And the and, um, same, same thing that happened to the blind man there at the gate beautiful with uh, James and John. 
Um, but it's a time where people would be more generous. And they knew that. But that was just part of their lives. You know, they understood that the diversity in the crowd, there could be those making their journey to Jerusalem and they might have had a great year. Crops were in abundance, you know, and they're more generous. And there are those who just had a hard time uh, throughout the year, but they knew by law they had to attend and they're going by and, you know, maybe they're given a little bit more reluctantly. But it doesn't matter. He knows, Bartimaeus knows that this is going to be a time for him to cry out um, for, uh, for his sustenance, for, for money. Um, when, when, when the blind would get their, their money, of course, there would always be an emotional response, as you probably have seen somewhere. Thank you, thank you very much and all that. And for, for, for it being the, the time for the Feast of Pentecost, or pardon me, Passover, he's probably thinking it doesn't get any better than this, you know. Now, um, he doesn't, Bartimaeus does not have the gospel of Mark like you and I. So it's, he doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know that he thinks he's having a good time, a glorious time. He doesn't know that it's even going to get better for him. You know, he just thinks this is a, an every, every day. You know, this is what I do every Passover year. This is how I beg. So he woke up like this is just another day. This is the norm. And again, not realizing that something was going to change. Now, I don't, I, you know, I don't think we're too far from that either. That kind of mentality. I think sometimes we just take every day for granted and we think nothing's going to be different. You know, even coming to church sometimes, we, could, we can fall into the, the rut of a routine. Okay, this is what I do for you guys that have got to get your kids up at a certain time and then eat your cereal or running late, you know, and half you guys don't even mind running late. And I, I appreciate that, but um, I get it with kids, man. Irma and I had six of them guys, you know. But, uh, but the problem is with, with our fallen nature, is we fall into a rut and a routine. And then we stop thinking God could do something so marvelous and so spectacular that we don't even look for it. We come to church, two songs, we're standing, Juan gets up, he prays over our offering, makes the announcements, Hare comes out, he's usually bubbly and loves every day I do I, at this age I appreciate every day but uh, then the message then we'll get home we'll watch the football again I have friends over eat some hot wings not even giving God a thought about doing something great in our lives and he wants to do something great see that's that's the thing about this whole caravan of people. He is in this caravan of people, and he wants to bless them. He wants to do something great in our lives. Um, again, Bartimaeus, <clears throat> his life is dominated by blindness, is it, is it not? And I just want you to put your thinking hats on a little bit. You know, some folks are, they might not be dealing with physical blindness, but there is some fallenness, some defect as a result of the fall that dominates our lives. 
could, and I don't think it should, but it does if we're real with each other. Um, his domination, he's dominated by physical blindness, but what, what, is, what, what marks do we bear? You know, it can start at a young age, something that's never been corrected. I don't know, maybe parents. Or, I grew up in a very angry home, you know, so I learned to be angry. You know, we were taught, you know, if you couldn't work it out verbally, just fight and scrap. And so fighting was very normal in my family, you know. And then when you get into your 20s, you still sense that anger. And even as a Christian, you start to battle some of these things. They still dominate you. You know, you grow up in a, an alcoholic home, you know, and, and you, 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 you maybe fought at all your young age, but then later on, you, somehow you turn out to be an alcoholic. I don't, I don't know, rhyme and reason. Or maybe what marks your life today is drugs, or maybe it's emotional thing of depression. And if someone were to ask, you know, I, here, I'll give you an illustration. A dear friend I used to hang out on the street corners with, his name was Tim, and I won't mention his last name, but it grew up with him through high school and all. And, and we used to think, man, that kid can drink like a fish. And then I got saved. And, but that's all I knew about Tim. He just drank like a fish. I get saved. I go off to seminary. You know, I'm instrumental in starting a few churches. I can finally get grounded in doing uh, Calvary Chapel, South Jersey. And I just go down to Captain Katz. And all these years, here's this little old frail man with a shot and a beer. And I walked off into him and went, Tim. The whole time thinking about it, that's all I knew about this guy. His identity was, man, he could drink like a fish. He died three years later. If someone were to mention Harry, what would be, what would he think right away? What, what would be my identity to him? Oh, he's the guy that was always angry. You didn't want to cross him. He'd walk into your house and knock you out and try to get out before you could call the cops. See, our identity should be in Christ. Amen? And, but I'm trying to be real with you. We can say that all we want. But the truth of the matter is, go ask somebody, what's the first thing you think of me when you hear my name? I, my, my prayer is, the older I get, the closer I get going home, Harry Presley, oh, that's that crazy pastor who loved Jesus with all his heart, man. That's what I want. I don't want anybody to think about Harry in the BC days. I pray against that. That's my problem with a lot of people sharing their crazy testimonies. You know, I was, I was raised by pagans and, and taught by the Hells Angels and shot my first guy when I was 12. And then, you know, oh, come on, man. I don't want to know that. What about you now? I want to think about you now as born again, regenerated. You're a new person in Christ, walking with Jesus and loving Jesus. I get in your car, the first thing I hear is praise music coming out of the radio. That kind of stuff. Amen, guys? I think something that we have to consider from time to time. But the truth of the matter, like blind Bartimaeus, he could not have changed his, his fallenness. He couldn't change 
his identity. He was the blind guy that sat on the road of Jericho and he would hype up his begging when it came to the feast day. Everybody knew that about him. So he could not have changed himself. And I say that to say this, if you are struggling with something, you can't change yourself either. You could just say, well, then I guess I'll just have to keep Hope FM on every time I get in my car. No, there's no way to change ourselves. Just like Bartimaeus, hopeless, helpless, to change the condition. There's an interesting verse in Jeremiah chapter 13, 23, and it says this. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leper his spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. Let me paraphrase this for you. Can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? It's rhetorical, of course not. Can the leper take away his spots? You know, the wild cat, the leper, can he change? No, of course. Neither can you start doing good, for you have always done evil. It's your nature. It's because of the fall. So just like someone not able to change the pigment of his skin or a wild animal changing, you know, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say this, it's freaky out though. We had a skunk walk in here yesterday. Talk about people running. Not running towards the problem like real men. We had to trap him in the boiler room. He's still in there. Don't worry. If you don't get saved, we're letting him out. No. <laughs> Uh, he's in a cage, the animal control people are dealing with it, but he's just a little baby thing, and you know, it's like, you know, anyway, that skunk, he's always going to stink. He's, there's no way to change his nature. Anyway, sorry. See, I, only God can change the fallenness in our lives. Only God can do that. You know? But I want to say this, and I'm going to try to wrap up pretty soon here. If we look at this text, there's four things, there's four phrases that I want to point out to you. And I think this is what changed Bartimaeus and his, his fallenness. Now remember, physical. this is his physical, but our spiritual, we can make the same application. Notice in verse 47, when he heard... That it was Jesus of Nazareth. He cried. uh, He began to cry out. And say Jesus son of David. Have mercy on me. The four phrases we see. The first one here in verse 47. He heard. He cries. He came. And he believed. If you can memorize them that's fine. If not just jot them down. He hears. He cries out. He came. And he believed his faith. So Luke's gospel, when we read the same account, he gives us a little bit more information. It tells us that as Jesus was passing by, that, he, that Bartimaeus heard the commotion. And, and he heard something out of the ordinary. Um, you know, there's one thing that we know that when... Someone loses one of his senses or her senses and smell, see, touch. You know. When you lose one of them, one of the others will be heightened. You know, uh, It'll kick into overdrive. 
We know this especially when people who will go blind, the one sense that goes uh, is heightened or is, is his hearing. He begins to hear certain things. So blind Bartimaeus, if somebody walks by him quickly, he knows it. If somebody stops in front of him, he knows it. If somebody starts to jingle, of course, some coin in, in their pocket, oh man, he's got the, they have his attention. His, his ears become like satellite dishes and just drawing everything in. I've had a personal experience. No, well, I never went blind, but uh, in, in the college that I went to, uh, there was this professor. His name was Professor Reardon. Just lovely. But, man, he was, a, he was blind. I mean, that guy couldn't see anything. The glasses and all. Oh, a musician. Oh, he could play any instrument. You could you just name it. He could do it and play it by ear. But there was something that was so amazing about this man. I was in the boiler room. I was trying to work for the college. We were putting a boiler system in. And I, would, I saw a guy ride by on a tricycle, one of those adult tricycles. And I looked, and his brother reared it. And he's just driving between these, these narrow buildings. And every now and then, he would stop, and he'd go... The echoing, he would be able to turn, go in between cars. That's how his, the sensitivity in his ears is here. It was totally amazing. So that's, that's what we see here. He's sitting there, and all of a sudden, the commotion changed. Wait a minute. What are they talking about? This isn't the, norm, you know, the, the normal commotion that usually happens around here. There's a murmuring going on. There's, there's an excitement going on. And he can't figure it out at first. Then all of a sudden, and it comes to him, someone says, you know, he goes, what's all this about? He goes, yeah, did you ever hear this guy, Jesus of Nazareth? You've got to be kidding. Jesus of Nazareth is here. Now, these words, again, would probably, I don't know, guys, stir up all kinds of emotions. Hope, excitement, and even panic. Hope, maybe this is the solution to my problem, right? Maybe there's some panic. The, the crowd, the wall-to-wall people, I'm on the other side of the street. I can't, you know, I can't see him. Of course, that's obvious. And so maybe there's a little pattern. Will I lose? Listen, listen, listen. Will I lose the opportunity? Now I understand why this guy begins to shout out. Because he is panicking. You know, uh, again, every single blind person in that area knew something about this man. And what they knew of him, he can heal the blind. So the first thing, I think, when people are plagued with their fallenism or their fallness, whatever identity they still carry around, the first thing we have to do is we've got to hear the message. Jesus is here. And Jesus will never leave you. He's always going to be, and he's excited to do something for you. So whatever that thing is, Whatever thing you've been hiding in the closet, whatever thing it is you think you'll never get until you finally go home, he wants to change you. He wants to change that, that thing you call your identity. And so Jesus comes within shouting distance. And this is the second thing. He cries out. 
Look what he said there in verse 47 again. He began to cry out. The, in, the original Greek language is very interesting. It means to croak, to screech, to scream. Thayer, the Greek uh, scholar, he says it means to cry out, to cry out loud, to in, in art, uh, to, uh, to in articulate, in articulate. This is the opposite of articulate, inarticulate. means it's a shrieking. It almost gives you the sound of a wild animal um, that's panicking. So this is our blind Bartimaeus. It's not, uh, excuse me, Jesus, jumping up and down. Over here, the blind guy. Actually, inarticulate is a, a stammering. He's not making any sense, but he's got to get his attention. He hears something. He starts to panic because he doesn't want Jesus to go by. And he starts crying out. You know, you and I can pray like that. And the Bible teaches us that with groanings. Something you can't articulate. Something that makes no sense. Mom passed away. I was 21. She was my life. Dies all of a sudden right in front of us. We didn't even know she was sick. And that's a bad day. And I remember after my brother was trying to minister to me, I just shoved him away. I didn't want any. I remember just moaning, moaning. Ever done that in, in mourning over someone you love? Oh, man. No, it's... The Bible teaches us that with groanings, the Holy Spirit begins to intercede for you. That's how much he loves us. So in a weird way, now I look back, I'm thinking what he was saying. You know, the Spirit going, Lord, your son Harry has no words, his heart. He needs your peace right now. With groanings, we do the same thing. And this is... This is blind Bartimaeus. Doesn't make a bit of sense, but he's going to get... He's crying out. He does, he's panicking. He doesn't want to lose the opportunity. Where in verse 48, they, 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 want to, they warn him to be quiet. And that word warning, this is how hard a man or a woman's heart can become. They begin to warn him. That word warning um, literally means with a threat. Shut up or we'll make you shut up. But did that stop him? No, it tells us that he even cried out even the more there. But he cried out all the more, you know, son of David, have mercy, you know. Were they embarrassed of him? Were they thinking this guy is making a fool of himself? Well, let me ask you something, dear Christian. If someone told you, Stop that moaning. Stop that crying out. Would you stop? Or would you all the more bring up the volume? You know, they're put, trying to put your their hand Jesus! Would you though? Or would you listen to their counsel? He's not going to pay any attention to you. You're blind. You're a beggar. Look, we sit you here every day. What are you crying about? You're getting money left and right. That's okay. You were born that way. Didn't you know it's a disease? 
Hey, it's okay. You were raised by an abusive father or a parent, and it's all right for you to experience this little thing. And all you want is deliverance from this fallenness, and you don't want this stigma upon. You don't want to be angry anymore. You don't want to be a drug addict. You don't want to be a liar. You want change. But you see, the problem with the world, and it's actually slipped into Christendom, we make excuses. Well, you're that way because of this. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus will stop this entire parade of people to minister to this guy. And he still does the same thing. Do you know when someone cries out and they're tired of their fallenness, whether they're saved or even during, you know, uh, when they're not saved, that if one person comes to Jesus, this side of eternity, all of heaven stops. Angels stop. They look down and go, wow, that guy, he got saved. And all of heaven rejoices. The father. Jesus interrupts everything. He says, if you confess me before man, I'll stop heaven and confess you before my father, which is in heaven. How glorious is that, gang? For you and I, how glorious is that? Again, verse 49, closing it up. So Jesus stood still. He commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man saying, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling for you. And look how he, he throws off his garment. That's number three. He came. He comes to Jesus. Jesus is not, listen, and and we see it all through the gospel. The, the, The rule is Jesus wants you to come to him. There is a human response. See, the danger today is this theology saying it's been preordained. You don't have to call out. You don't have to do anything. If you've been chosen, you've been chosen. If you haven't been chosen, you're not chosen, which to me is a very evil theology. But be that as it may, he stood still and he says, come to me. Come to me, all ye that are weary and heaven laden. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All through the New Testament, he's talking about a response to his call. He'll stop. He'll stop a parade. But we still got to come. We still have to cry out. Listen. Maybe you're here. Well, look at verse 51. Jesus answered and said unto him, what do you want me to do? And he says, Rabboni, I, I just want to receive my sight. I want to get rid of this fallenness. Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he received his sight. He followed Jesus. You, you want to know, know a way to show your appreciation when God re- delivers us from whatever that identity is or whatever that fallenness is? Decide to follow him. Just pick up a cross. If there's some struggle and if there's some hardship, just pick it up. Start following him. Look, he's changed our lives. For some of us, we can look back. And I don't speak for everyone. But I know for your pastor, when I look back, if, and I, if I stayed on that course, I would, have, I would not be here today. I know that for a fact. There's no way I'd be here today. And many of us can attest to that. Some of us that's, that's are in ministries have had guns put, put to their heads. 
doing stupid things like riding on top of a car 90 miles an hour. It's just insane what we used to do. So without Jesus, there's a lot of us that wouldn't be around. Amen, church? Let's stand together. Isn't that amazing? I, I didn't count how many verses there was, but just in that short, short little section of Scripture there, we get something that's so challenging. Number one, I want you to think home. I want you to take it home with you. We all, we all suffer from grandmom and grandpop Eve and Adam. We all do. Every time you get in a pinch and you tell a lie, that's where that came from. Our diseases, our sicknesses, the cancer, that's from, that's from the fall. But I want to tell you something, guys. If you're in a place today where you want Jesus to stop that parade, just remember, he heard. Do you hear anything today? He calls out. And by his faith, God changed his life just like he still can change lives today. Would you put your heads down just for a second? I do this just in order that I know how to pray for you at the end of the service. I'm going to ask you right now. Is there something in your life that's just, it's a result of the fallenness? And you want Jesus just to take it away from you. I want you to raise your hand and then put it right back down. Thank you. You can put it right back down. Mm. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word, your living word. I thank you, Lord, that you're the same yesterday and today and forever. We don't say that as a cliche. God, it's true to us. There was a time where you just stopped everyone to listen to a man crying out to you. He walked up to you. You asked him what he wanted. And he said, I just want to see. For us, Lord, and those that raised our hands, it's not a physical blindness, Lord, but it is a it is some identity. It is something that we don't want in our lives. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would come, heal as it were, deliver. Maybe it's just salvation this morning. Maybe it's someone here that has loved darkness more than light, but today they're ready to make that switch. That they would just pray along with us this morning. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Forgive me of my sin. Please come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. I now embrace the light. The light of your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.